Proverbs 17. Hey, as you're turning there, we're going to talk about what that video just showed us. We're, we're going to dig into that. Uh, but before we do, uh, I know some of you may not have been here in the morning, uh, and I want to let you know that Pam and I, uh, man, we have just been given the blessing of blessings. Uh, my son, Tim, who's back here right now. Tim, go ahead and stand up. Uh, I want guys to see you. Uh, Tim, is uh, uh, gonna, he and his wife, Jill, are going to have a baby. Uh, and so... So I get to be a grandfather again, and I am so excited and uh, have Tim and Jill in our life and to have what's about to happen happen, and, and I know he's going to be a great dad, and so it's just going to be good. It's just going to be a good thing. Uh, one other thing I want to share with you before we pray and dig in tonight, uh, I want to remind you that everybody here has an opportunity to win what I'm calling the Ricky Murray Award for being romantic. Uh, and Ricky, I see where you're at right now. Ricky's trying to hide out. Uh, but um, I, uh, Ricky is just, uh, uh, for years, uh, everyone's raved about, man, this guy knows how to nail romance. And I asked his wife, Talia, I said, is he still romantic? She said, yeah, he really is. So, so he's in this. You guys have got to find a way to beat him. But here's what it is. Uh, either for a, uh, your wife, your fiancé, girlfriend, or, or it could be a, a daughter. You could do something incredibly loving. Uh, do it. You've got to actually plan it, do it, write it down. And then when you turn it in, I have a team that will make a decision. And uh, what you're competing for, because obviously we want to make this kind of fun, you get a $150 gift certificate to Fleming's, which is the, one of the best steak houses around. Uh, I mean, the steaks are like this thick. And 150 will only feed two people there. It's, it's that, that high end, but the steaks are phenomenal. You also... Uh, um, get uh, uh, seven of our brand new cheeseburgers we're going to be offering. Uh, uh, starting this week, Wednesday, we're going to actually uh, begin a, a test run in the cafe. But they're the most amazing cheeseburgers ever. You get seven free of those. And then I've decided to, to add something else to it. Uh, the winner also gets um, a calfskin leather Bible. Uh, this may be the best of all the awards. It, it, it's just, this Bible I've got, it's calfskin. It's put out by the Lockman Foundation. It's a very specially made uh, New American Standard Bible with plenty of room for notes. The pages are an extra kind of paper that allows you to write on them without bleeding through. And so uh, this is an amazing Bible, and we're going to throw that in too. So it's worth doing this. It's worth doing because you get to bless someone else, but it's also worth doing it because uh, you get all this cool stuff. So uh, Ricky, you better be in, man. <laughs> Let's pray. Father, I ask and pray that you would just reveal to us more and more tonight uh, what you want to have happen in our heart and lives, the kind of men you want us to be, the kind of way you want us to love. And God, um, as we talk about being able to overcome things that might hinder us, I pray, God, you're the one who always leads in victory, and in you we can always triumph. And so we pray that you would help us to see anything that might hold us back so we might literally triumph because you want us to, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're going to enter eight weeks of digging into some very heavy things. And uh, what I want to have you do is I want to challenge you to be ready for eight solid weeks of, of really opening up. And whether any of these weeks apply to you, let me tell you something, they apply to an incredible number of people. And if you, for some reason, none of these eight hit you, and that, that would be pretty cool. I, I don't think that's going to be the case. I want to promise you that at work, you're going to be around people that, that struggle with this. At, at church, we're going to interact with people that struggle with this because we live in a very broken world. And so what we need is an amazing amount of persistence and 
and stick to itiveness and saying, I'm going to be here no matter what. Uh, uh, and the good news for us, we're doing this at six at night. All the other churches that are doing this are doing it at 530 in the morning on a weekday. Uh, so I think it's a, a little maybe easier. But no matter what, what I'm saying is we got to be kind of tough, uh, uh, tough people. Now, when I was thinking about it, I was trying to think about a, a, a true story of toughness. And I don't know if this is a good one for you, but uh, one of my friends, Ron Gallagher, played football for USC. And Ron was a tight end at SC. His brother, Al, was a tackle at SC. And they played back when OJ was there. And OJ won the Heisman. And, and, and so, I mean, it was a, an incredible time for them to be a part of the SC football team. Well, Ron was on his first road trip. What happened is he uh, was the third string tight end. He wasn't traveling with the team. Uh, one of the tight ends got hurt. And so his first traveling trip was to Notre Dame. Could you imagine? And so he's like, this is a dream come true. He's in the hotel at night. He's laying there thinking there's a slight chance he'll probably get into the game. And, and he's thinking about what it would mean to actually run into the Notre Dame Stadium in uniform. And he's all into this. And he's laying in bed. He hears this boom. One. Then boom. Two. Boom. Three. And he thought, what is this? And it's on the, he could hear it coming from above him. Well, then it's four, five, and it goes up to 22. And he thought, whoa, and then it stops for a minute. And then, boom, one. And it start, And he thought, what is this? So he goes out of his room, gets in the elevator, goes upstairs. The elevator door's open, and he looks down the hallway, and here are some of the linebackers. And what they're doing is they're getting up on a chair, and they're jumping off and landing on thumbtacks. And one thumbtack. Two thumbtacks. Who could take the most thumbtacks into their feet? And, uh, and, 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 he, and Ron said, that's why I'm not a linebacker. You know, and uh, these guys were that kind of wild men, man. They were tough. So, you know, what we need to do is kind of play through the pain sometimes. You probably have heard the name Jeffrey Dahmer. Uh, Jeffrey Dahmer um, was one of the most hideous serial killers that ever existed in the United States. Uh, he killed and cannibalized a number of people. And when he was finally convicted, he was sentenced to 975 years in prison uh, because they never, ever wanted him to get out. Uh, two years in, uh, Dahmer made a claim that he had given his life to Christ. And it was not too long after that that he was murdered and beaten to death in, in that prison setting. And um, they're guessing the guards knew it was going to happen and didn't do anything to stop it. Uh, scientists, after he died, asked his parents for permission to have his brain so they could study it. And at first, his father, Lionel, who was a university professor, said no. But then the more he thought about it, he thought, okay, what made my son into the monster he was? And, and how does it feel to have a son like that? And, and I didn't quite understand, but I think he finally said yes to the brain. But he wrote a book called A Father's Story. And in the book, he describes a home of incredible parental neglect. Uh, of raising a boy, he said, quote, devoid of affection and parental presence. And in the book, he states this. He says, and so I, talking about him towards the son, so I wasn't there to see him as he began to sink into himself. I wasn't there to sense that he might be drifting toward an unimaginable realm of fantasy and isolation that it would take me nearly 30 years to recognize uh, there's some phrases in that quote that just got to grab you. It's this, I was not there. Now, he was an absent father even though he lived in the same home. I was not there. Uh, the next thing is, he began to sink. My son was sinking and I didn't notice. He was in a, 
a quicksand of immorality sucking him down. And I was so absent from his life, even though we lived in the same home, I was oblivious to it. And then those words, he might be drifting. Might be drifting. Uh, he wasn't able to, to stand. He wasn't able to be strong. And, and his father looks back and, and saw interviews and, and actually looked up people. And he said, it, I, how was I... How was I so off on what I was supposed to be? You see, when a dad is missing from a son's life, he doesn't have that strength to stand. He sinks. And there are times that life hits him hard and he's not sure how to handle it. And very often what happens is he either reacts overly aggressively or, or, or passively, but he just can't seem to get his hands on what's going on. So not having the strength to stay put and stand strong, there's this tendency to drift. In the United States today, we're facing a horrible, rising epidemic of fatherless children. Uh, today, two in five children in the United States are truly fatherless in the sense that there's no man living in their home whatsoever. Uh, think about that. Two in five. That, that's a lot. As a matter of fact, it's two point something. It's getting close to 50%. Let me have you grab this, and I think it's going to come up on the screen behind me, where we're coming from. In 1960, 82.5% of children grew up with their biological father. And only 17.5% lived apart from their biological father. Uh, in 1970, it went to 22.4% living apart from their biological father. And then in 1980, it became 322 Nearly one-third of all children in the United States, starting in 1980, didn't live with their biological father anymore. And in 1990, that jumped all the way to 38.3%. And what we're seeing today is it's taken another jump. And, and while we're never, ever going to say you can't overcome that, it study after study after study shows the, the agony that, that a child has to fight through uh, and not seeing that person there. Now, maybe they'd be fortunate enough to get a stepfather in the home who would love and care for them. And it does happen. But the bottom line is, is going through the agony of, of not having the dad. Uh, uh, and, and by the way, those numbers are physically not present. When we start adding in to the fathers who are psychologically not present, it skyrockets even higher. But let's talk about the physical side right now and have you think about this. Uh, a study done uh, because of the National Fatherhood Initiative that was done in 2007 said this. It said, compared to living with both parents, living in a single parent home doubles the risk that a child will suffer physical, emotional, and educational neglect. By the way, educational neglect is huge. Uh, uh, and, and let me just do a quick uh, uh, political statement here. Are you ready? And I don't know if you'll even consider this political. We're going to lose on the world scene because of our education. And the biggest factor in educational neglect is an absent father. And we, we're not going to compete. Uh, and, and you know what? This is a, a nation's history uh, being decided. A nation's destiny being decided. It gets scary to think what's going to happen when we begin to look at this. Uh, the study goes on to say children living in households with unrelated adults... In other words, a non-biological father are nearly 50 times as likely to die of inflicted injuries as children living with two biological parents, according to a study from Missouri data published in the Journal of American Academy of Pediatrics. 50 times more likely to suffer such extreme abuse that they die. Uh, analyzing a group of 8th graders who initially resided with both biological parents and children in that household 
been a household, or excuse me, uh, both biological parents, children in households that had experienced a change in family structure had school dropout rates two to three times higher than the peers whose families did not change. Uh, and I think I, you all know that we're living in a time that the high school dropout rate has skyrocketed to, to the highest level that we can imagine. And one of the greatest factors they're finding in it is not having a biological father in their life. They just can't do it, especially if that shift happened in the junior high years. And um, they said it's amazing what it does to a student's educational abilities. Uh, children in father-absent homes are five times more likely to be poor. As a matter of fact, in 2002, now think about this, 7.8% of children in married couple families were living in poverty compared to 38.4% of children in female-only households. It, it, and the, the rate of extreme poverty uh, that, that exists in there is incredible. And just any kind of poverty uh, takes it to a level where we're, we're putting kids at risk. And uh, some of you, that may have happened to you. The study says this, Nonetheless, many scholars and frontline caseworkers interviewed by the Associated Press see the abusive boyfriend syndrome as a part of a broader trend that deeply worries them. They note an ever-increasing share of America's children growing up in homes without both biological parents and say the risk of child abuse is markedly higher than in non-traditional family structures. See, we're talking about physical, we're talking about mental, educational, emotional neglect, children suffering, and the big key comes down, not only to both biological parents, comes down to a biological father. Uh, and the study, and I'll read this last part. <clears throat> it says, this is a dark underbelly of cohabitation. What he was getting at, Brad Wilcox of the University of Virginia. He's talking about people who live together. Uh, mom and dad, mom has children and, and she begins to live with a boyfriend. And uh, they're saying this affects kids in a more horrible, negative way than we know. By the way, this study, even though we would agree with it from a Christian perspective, was not done uh, in a Christian setting. This is just a sociological study. And it says, this is the dark underbelly of cohabitation. Cohabitation has become quite common, and most people think, what's the harm? The harm is we're increasing a pattern of relationship that's not good for children. We're raising children with no parent uh, commitment, parental commitment. We're raising children in places that they can't grow up in a healthy way. Study after study after study consistently shows a child raised in a two-parent home, especially when they're with both biological parents, does better. And when the father's attached and the father's love is there, amazing things happen. And again, this study, as scary as it was when it's released, and it's been, been well-respected, um, it doesn't speak to when the father's emotionally or psychologically distant from the child. Proverbs 17, verse 6, look what it says. It says, Grandchildren are the crown of old men, and the glory of sons is their fathers. Now, now this is a God-given thing. God created us so that when that little boy stands there and looks at dad, he thinks dad's the whole world. Uh, it crosses culture. This is a God-given thing where, where guys were created to look up in dad and think he can do anything. Nobody's stronger than dad. Nobody's more exciting than dad. Dad is the one you run to when you're afraid, and he's the one who can protect you. And, and the glory of sons is their dads. That's why there's a hero worship of fathers that's innately inside a child. 
A father is either a father to his children or the children are fatherless. I want you to listen to that phrase again. A father is either a father to his children or his children are fatherless. And if they're fatherless, they're wounded. And uh, many of you are sitting here right now. I mean, that describes a wound that was inflicted upon you, not by your choice. And uh, we have the most innocent of the innocent not able to defend themselves from a wound like this. Uh, There's a book that was written called Orphans at Home. And uh, that was about the absent father who's physically present and the great pain it causes. And, and while the way, this is where you need to grab hold of with me because you probably would agree with this. But, but the book Orphans at Home said this. It says, well, obviously, if the father's not there, it's a killer. But if the father is there and he doesn't want to connect to his child, it's a constant message to the child, you're not good enough. And if you were just a better son or daughter, If you were just a better child, well, then you would get the father's love. Because a little child doesn't look, especially a small child doesn't look and say, well, the reason dad doesn't love me is because he has problems. A small child looks and internalizes that. What's wrong with me? And they don't don't get it. And their feelings are incredibly fragile. And uh, some of you had to live through that. And I want to tell you, God, God never wanted that to happen. That was not his will. And uh, we're in a society today that this gets just to be too true. I've mentioned before a book called Faith of the Fatherless that was put out by a professor from Columbia University and doing an amazing study on atheism. He found that the largest single factor to producing an atheist is no father figure. It's not intellectual. As a matter of fact, he said in his studies, almost no one arrived at atheism in a truly intellectual way. By the way, whether you're struggling with this, I'd love to debate and talk with you over it. But the truth of the matter is it really does take more faith to be an atheist than it does to be a Christian. I mean, because you got to believe that everything came from nothing. I mean, that's a pretty big leap. But, But why would someone take that? They said the number one factor is the absent father and usually an overly dominant woman in their life. Uh... You know what, the, the things that happen when a father's not there, and so that's why the first of our eight, and we're actually going to do two or three weeks dealing with this, talking about the absent father wound. Now, I want to remind you of the definition of wound that we used, and it's this, an ongoing emotional, social, or spiritual deficit ordinarily met in a healthy relationship with dad that now must be overcome by other means. In other words, now, and by the way, it can be overcome. Let's, let's don't miss that. It, you can have victory in this area, but if you've suffered from it, we need to talk about it. Now, I want you to think about how do you remember your dad? Um, after I shared about my father and talked about my story, I had a lot of you come up and say, man, you know what? That reminds me of my dad. But I had more come up and say, I can't relate. I, I mean, I really can't. Uh, and you know what, is if I were to ask you this, uh, real quickly, just, just kind of think this through and we'll kind of unpack this. If I ask you to come up with three words or phrases that pop in your mind when you go to remember your father. Three things, all of a sudden, boom. Tell, you know, three things about your dad. What are three things you'd say? Uh, uh, for me, I was thinking, fun. I gotta be honest, my dad was a lot of fun. He, he was funny, and, and he pulled the most amazingly great practical jokes ever, a lot of them on me, and uh, you know what? It, my dad was just a lot of fun and loved to laugh, and he made sure we always laughed. Uh, I would have another word, the word's there. My dad was always there. Unless he was on TDY, which is temporary duty, 
uh, uh, because of the Air Force. Uh, whenever my dad was in town, he was at whatever game I needed to be at. Uh, he was up early in the morning with me. He was going to see me late at night. Uh, I mean, my dad was where, wherever I needed him to be, he was there. Uh, another word was initiative. I, I already went into that. My dad was a person of amazing initiative. He was a self-starter, and he valued that in me and in others. I, I would add on the words, my dad was strong and my dad was brave. So those are words that hit me. Now, now here's, here's where I'm going to go now. Robert Lewis, who is the founder of Men's Fraternity, let me give you his phrases. Number one, drunk. First phrase that pops in his mind when he thinks of his father was drunk. Uh, holidays were rough. Holidays meant dad was going to get drunk and very often be angry and upset and violent. And uh, there was a long period in his life where when Christmas was coming, even as a Christian, there was this gnawing feeling of, of, of just almost fear and intrepidation. Why? Because dad, dad always was drunk, but he was especially drunk then. Uh, in Robert Lewis's wedding picture, his father's not there. You know why? Because his father got drunk on the day of his wedding and literally passed out and missed the wedding. And he said, you know what? Uh, the birth of my children, he only made one. Because dad was drunk. And uh, he said, that, you know, it just, it, I hated that. Uh, and so that would be his first word for him. Uh, the second word was show me. Now, this is interesting, this little phrase, because here's what Robert Lewis meant. My dad never showed me anything. He never taught me anything. Uh, I, I grew up, he said, without, no, my dad didn't teach me to throw a ball. Uh, my dad didn't teach me anything. And I, he looked around at other, other friends of his. And this is, by the way, Lewis and I are about the same age, so this goes way back. And, and, and he looked around at friends of his, and the dads had taught them things. And the dads would do things. And he would stand and watch other neighborhoods and other streets where dad would be out with the kid. And he goes, I never got that. There was no show me in my dad. The next one was this. He said, I have a good one, though. It's fishing. He said, my dad, he took me fishing. Uh, he didn't teach me to bait the hook. He didn't teach me to clean the fish. He didn't, but at least he took me. And then he said, but here's the thing I got to tell you. In my whole life, my dad took me fishing three times. And he said, I, those are the best memories I have of my dad. He goes, but not, not trying to be mean. I look back and I realize, well, he really took me fishing for him, not for me. And he says, those are the things I remember about my father. And uh, it kills him. Uh, I just heard Bill Hybels speaking recently. I, Bill Hybels, I love that guy. But uh, he's gotten very honest. And, and, if, and, and I've been in some personal settings with him. If you don't know who Bill is, he's pastor of one of the largest churches in the United States, Willow Creek Community Church. But uh, Bill said this. He said, I cannot remember one time in my whole life where my dad ever hugged me or said I love you. Certainly he never kissed me. Not once. He said, I'm not sure my mother ever did. And he said, I am emotionally deformed. I'm emotionally stunted. I, I know it. He goes, I struggle with that. And uh, I, I got to say this, without being judgmental, I, I was in a couple of settings with him and I thought, okay, this is one of the highest high-level leaders I've ever been around, one of the most blessed men, uh, uh, one of the most successful. This guy's so good at teaching leaders. And I watched him in social, and I watched that he couldn't do it. And he's hurt friendships badly. He's wounded friendships badly. And you know, it all goes back to the fact he just doesn't get how to have an emotional connection in a healthy way. Uh, Bill Hybels was saying that his uh, son had gotten married and 
his son and his daughter-in-law were staying at their house till they got their house ready. And, and they're standing in the kitchen talking and he had done everything he could not to raise his son the way he had been raised. And his wife demanded it. And uh, what happened is they got ready to go to bed and his son said, Dad, thanks for having us. And his son walked over and threw his arms around him and went to hug him. And he stood there and he said, here I am. I, this, I've raised this young guy. I'm proud of him. I love him. And, and he said, I stood there still not. I just didn't know how to handle hugging because I just wasn't raised that way. And he said, I have to battle it out. He goes, I'm so glad that's not the case for my son. And, uh, you know, if I asked you to think about your dad and, and come up with some phrases, sir, are they all are going to be about him being there and loving you and encouraging you? Or is it going to be negative? Um, I want you to know there are certain results that come from the absent father wound. And if you have your book, get ready. We're going to start filling this in. Matter of fact, uh, under the definition, it's, it's in the book. But let's go down to number C, the results of the absent father wound. The first is anger and pain. Anger and pain. And by the way, God warns a dad not to do this to his kids. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4, it says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. Colossians 3.21 says this. It says, Fathers, do not exasperate your children so that they will not lose heart. Uh, uh, and so what happens when a dad's not there and a dad's not pouring into the son's life? Well, what happens is, is there's anger, there's pain, there, there's a feeling of, of humiliation that's there. Again, I'm going to go to Robert Lewis because I think maybe many of you could identify with what he said. He said here he was in junior high wanting to play football. And so he did everything he could to get his dad to finally sign that permission slip. And his dad signed it. He thought, I, I, he loved playing football in the fields and the parks with his friends. Now he's going to go play. And his dad signs, he's got this letter and got this permission slip. And his dad signs it. And so he shows up at 7 in the morning, standing there, waiting for his moment to hand it in and join the team. And he looks around and he sees that all the other kids have cleats. And all the other kids have, have jock straps. You know, he sees the boxes. And, and, and all the other kids have either cash or a check to pay the fee. And the coach comes walking out and says, all right, give me your stuff, guys. Let's check you in. And he looks over. He's going, Lewis, why don't you have any cleats? And he stood there going, I didn't know I was supposed to. See, their dads had taken them to buy cleats. He didn't have that. And in front of everybody, where's your jock strap? He said, I didn't even know what one was. How, how, how does a, a, a junior high, how would you know? His dad never took him to, and put him in that position. It was so humiliating that he just wanted to, to run and cry. And the coach was oblivious to the pain and the embarrassment he was feeling in that moment. And he said he stood there hating his father because all the other kids' dads did it for him. He walked to practice alone and he walked home alone unless a father of a friend of his picked him up and took him. Over and over again, he almost quit playing. Good news he didn't because he ended up being gifted at it and became an All-American. But you know what? It's, it's, it was never because of his father. And uh, the, the agony, the pain, the anger that was there. I think many of you know the name Charles Stanley. Charles Stanley, uh, his mother uh, married a man, a stepfather, that he began to hate. And uh, he got to the point he hated this man so much that he could only find one joyous thought during his childhood. You ready for what it was? The idea of murdering his father and his mother. He got a paper route 
so he could raise money to buy the gun. And at 12 years of age, he finally got the money. And of course, this shows a different time period. He went down and they sold a 12-year-old a gun over the counter, a rifle. And he brought it home and laid in bed at night, mustering up the courage for the night he would wait till them to be asleep and walk in and take that gun. And the first person he was going to kill was the dad. He hated him so much. And he was close to doing it until in the midst of that young Guy's mind, someone ended up sharing Christ and he became a Christian. And for a long time, looking at that gun in the corner, the horror of what he had almost done gripped him. God saved him just in time. But here's the point. He was so angry and so hurt and so mad. Because when an ab- a father's absent, whether he's physically present or not, it creates anger inside of us. It creates hurt inside of us. It creates pain. Uh, uh, the second thing is this. Uh, not only is one of the results of the father wound Anger and pain, the second result is extreme behavior, addictions and obsessions. Extreme behaviors start to happen. Anger is how we express pain. You ready for this? Addiction is how we suppress pain. Drugs, alcohol, pornography is a suppressing mechanism. It's very unhealthy. And and the reality is is it it, it ruins people in ways that we can't even grasp sometimes. But actually psychology has showed over and over uh, the, the, the horror it creates inside of a man's mind and inability to understand reality. And and uncontrolled spending, by the way, is a way of numbing the pain. If I can get more things and more things and more things, then I don't have to deal with the pain that's there. And by the way, this goes on well past leaving home. And uh, uh, it allows us to numb out pain, allows us to block out pain. So a lot of guys, what do they do? They find themselves on the internet in a dream world rather than facing up to reality and the risk of rejection or, or trying to wrestle through what's going on. Many men turn to becoming workaholics and and part of it's because they're driven to show that they're a success no matter what because they've never received the kind of affirmation they should have gotten from a dad. Sexual permissiveness sets in. If I can just have different kinds of of pleasurable experiences in different ways, well, you know, supposedly that's going to help. Well, it doesn't. And uh, it's the wrong use of sex. And so these extreme behaviors get set in and, and God looks and says, I don't want that for you. But that father not being there, it leads to that. The third thing is an inner sense of lostness, a feeling that you're just incomplete. You sit around thinking something's missing and I can't put my finger on it because you've never known it. Something's just not there like it should be. Uh, Burt Reynolds, uh, I don't know if you know who Burt Reynolds is, but famous actor. Burt Reynolds never really had a relationship with his father, even though his father was the chief of police, the best-known man in the community, one of the most respected. And he said, but you know what? It makes it worse that he and I were in the same proximity and never related. Here's what he said. Listen to this. He says, uh, he said, when my father came into the room, it's like the lights went on and the air went out of it. He just took over. And there's a saying in the South, though, that no man is a man until his father tells him he is. It means that even when you're 30 years old, uh, that this man you respect, this man you love, this man you want to love and love you, will put his arm around you and tell you that you are a man now. You don't have to do all those crazy things to show anyone or try to defend your honor. You have nothing to prove. So every son wants a father who will throw his arms around him and tell him that he loves him. That you're a man and you have nothing to prove. With my dad and me, we never hugged and we never kissed and we never said I love you. We never even cried together. 
And then Reynolds paused for a moment, the interviewer said, and he said, so later on, I was desperately looking for someone to say, Bert, you're grown up now. I approve of you and I love you and you don't have to do those things anymore. But that never happened. So I was lost inside and for most of my life, I was not able to ever connect with anybody on a meaningful basis because I was always incomplete. And uh, if that happened, uh, you know what? If God wants to heal that hurt, Jesus died on the cross to do it. But you gotta, you gotta be willing to look at it. You gotta be willing to dig it out. And so that's a result of the absent father wound. Here's the next one, number four. A result of the absent father wound can be homosexuality. Uh, a fractured relationship from the same sex. Dr. Elizabeth Moverly of Oxford University said this, Homosexuality, for the most part, is the fracture of the relationship with the same sex. Homosexuality at the adult level becomes a vain, eroticized attempt to recover from the fracture of not having a father in a meaningful way. Now, I know this is a, a, a debated topic, but let me just say this, that we don't want to take this one sin and make it the worst sin that's imaginable to anybody. The homosexuality is a sin, adultery is a sin. Premarital sex is a sin. Lying is a sin. And, and, but the problem is today, uh, the minute we begin to talk about it being a sin that you need to be saved from, people act like we're homophobic or, or, or they act like we're not, we're not intellectual. But, but that's not helping people. It's not helping people who are struggling. And, and very often what happens is because of not growing up in a healthy environment and experiencing a loving family in the correct way, that there's, there's just a, 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 an event that occurs or, or something that happens in the psyche that just causes a person not to be able to, to work their life out correctly. And here's what I want to say. If that's you, uh, I, hope, I hope Crossroads would be a safe place for you to get help. And, and I hope it'd be a safe place for us to show you true love, honest love, and I hope this is a place where we can find, help you find meaningful friendships, but also be able to overcome this. Uh, to the Bible, when it talks about homosexuality, along with adultery and fornication and drunkenness, and such were some of you. The Bible says you can be set free from this, and, and yet, you know what, if you've struggled with this, I would ask you to look back and ask, where have you ever been at with your dad? And, and, and was there a pain there that caused it? Now, what every son wants to hear and needs to hear from his father. That's where we're at in the outline. Look at it. What every son wants and needs to hear from his father. Well, what, what does every son want and need? Number one is time together. Time together. Uh, it's interesting. I think this is interesting that God wants to spend quality time with you as a father. Uh, you know, isn't it interesting that God is God? No one is busier than God. No one has more important things to do than God. But God has nothing better to do than spend time with you because you're that important to him. Nothing's more important to God. And you know what? There's something inside of us when we're younger, especially that said, I need time with my dad. And, and the pure joy of having time together. Uh, a few weeks ago, I spoke at a father-son retreat, and it was a awesome place to be. But what happened is, is uh, two men came up there who uh, I've known over the years, and they brought their sons, and their plan was to come up Friday, and, or Friday, Saturday, and then leave Saturday and not stay for the whole retreat. And I watched both sons separately say to their dad, Dad, I don't want to go. No, let's don't leave. And you know why? Because they were loving the quality time they got with their dads. The whole retreat was based around fathers and sons being together, doing things together. And two different age sons both saying, I don't want to leave a place like this where I get to be with you. 
And, and you know what? There's something inside where, where a son needs that. And if you haven't had it, it hurts. Uh, if you are a father, you've got to give it. The next thing is uh, what we need from a dad is, is life skills. Life skills. That's number B. Proverbs 22, 6 says, train up a child in the way he should go. And even when he is old, he will not depart from it. You know, I, I mean, a, a dad's supposed to teach the son how to check the oil in the car, how to check the tires. A dad should teach his son how to keep his room clean, to know what to do when he's on a date, and, and talk to him about how you walk that girl up to the door. Uh, by the way, have you noticed that dating today is a lost art? And I think it's because there's fathers not teaching their sons what it means to do it. And uh, it's sad. Uh, a father should teach his son how to treat a woman not only in dating, but in marriage. And uh, a father ought to teach a son uh, to know that it's good and right to stop and help other people. And uh, I, I want to say just quickly, I, I, I want to have you wrestle this through. Why is it today that we're so slow just to jump in and help somebody in need? And I really think it's because there's not dads out there doing it and standing up and being men and saying, we do this. A dad should know his son so well he knows his bent. He knows his personality. He knows his giftedness. He sees the direction that he was God created to go. And, and that verse says, train up a child in the way he should go. The word Hebrew there is the bent he has. And, and so if I have a son and he's an amazing athlete, I encourage him in athletics. If I have another son who's an amazing scholastically, you encourage him in scholasticism. And, and you don't try to make the scholastic kid an athlete and the athlete necessarily, although they can merge, you, you help them find their way. And that's what a son needs from a dad and if you haven't had that well there, there's still a time for God to redirect no matter what's going on in your life. Number C sons need direction with solid why answers sons need direction with solid why answers there ought to be a man who actually walked with the son and taught him the deep things in life and talked to him about what matters God calls for a father to do this in Deuteronomy 6 verse 4 where it says hear O Israel the Lord is our God the Lord is one you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might and these words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart now listen to this next line you shall diligently teach them to your sons did you grab that now, I, I, we love women. We're not anti-woman here, but you catch God's great calling. This is for a dad to get with his son and teach him the truth about God, the deep truths. He says, you shall diligently teach them to your sons and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. And God says, man, I want a dad to, to do that. And some of you didn't have it. And uh, you know what I got to say? It's interesting. My dad was not a Christian most of my years growing up, but he, he, he talked about right and wrong to me, and he talked to me about the fact there was a God, and, and, and it made a difference. And, you know, did you have someone who sits down and says, let's talk about the deep things of life. Let's dig into it together. God says every son needs that. How about this? D, every son needs convictions through modeling. They need to pick up convictions through watching it in another man in their life. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 10 says this. It says, You were witnesses, and so is God, how devoutly and uprightly and blamelessly we behave toward you believers, just as you know how we were exhorting and encouraging and imploring each one of you as a father would his own children. He says, you know what? This is what a father does. Did you catch the three things a dad does? Exhorting, encouraging, and imploring. 
Exhorting means to teach or counsel. Encourage means to cheer on. And imploring means to go beg them to move in that right direction. And it says a father does this for his children. And when a father does that, great conviction is found in the life of a child. And, and if that hasn't been done, those convictions very often aren't there. And they need to be seized upon through a, a Holy Spirit movement in your life. The, the last thing, E, is a son needs his dad's heart, his dad's love. He needs to know he's loved. Isn't it interesting that even Jesus needed that and got it? In Matthew 17, 5, it says that while he was still speaking, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and behold, a voice out of the cloud said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. The father loved Jesus so much that he called out for people. I'm well pleased with him. I'm proud of him. Listen to him. He's important. There are three things every son needs to hear, and, and I want to ask you if you heard these growing up. Number one, I love you from a dad. I love you. Number two, I'm proud of you. And, and not just a fa false pride, a true, I'm proud of you because. And the third is, you're really good at, and then you fill in the blank. And, and, and every son needs that. That's that imploring, encouraging, exhorting. And, and you know what, I, if you haven't heard it, then, then that isn't what God wanted for you. He wanted you to experience that. The bottom line is, is that there's an ultimate answer to the heart wound. If a father has been absent from you, there's an answer that's there. And it comes in two ways. And it both comes from God. Because God has created you to have a relationship with him. But God has, in his wisdom and love, looked at anybody who's missing that father in their life. And he's chosen to heal that hurt in an amazing way, if you let him. Number one, by being a father to the fatherless. Psalm 68 verse 5 says, A father of the fatherless and a judge for widows is God in his holy habitation. You know, I want to say this, and I really know this is true. If you've been missing that dad, God looks at you and says, Let me be that dad for you. And let me and you have a special relationship that a, that a son who has a father in his life will, will not probably ever get because I want to come in and love you in a way you can't even imagine. I want to be a father to you if you were ever fatherless. So much so that it comes in part another way. God wants to be your Abba, your daddy. I, I was doing some study. The word grandfather actually comes from a Hebrew word, Ab. It's the first true word in the Hebrew dictionary. And I think that's pretty cool. Grandfather gets that role. But right after that becomes the Abba. It's an Aramaic word. And, and, and God wants you to be that to you. Abba is like a little baby right now. You know, in our society, our culture, when that baby finally goes, da, 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 da. And we cheer and we scream. And so they begin to realize that they we're cheering and screaming. So they keep saying it. And eventually they figure out that's daddy, right? Well, in the Hebrew culture, in the Aramaic culture, it was Abba, Abba, Abba. And when the baby gets it out, which is actually a little bit easier than daddy, the, the father screams and cheers. The son knows my name. I'm his Abba. I'm the one who loves him with all my heart. And, and God, get ready for this. God wants you to call him Abba. All of us, by the way. He loves you so much. He cares about you so much. He wants to literally have you look at him and say, Daddy, Dad. He says, that's who I want to be to you. I don't want to be this God that's way out there that goes, well, you made the world. Thank you. I don't want to even just be king of kings and lord of lords, even that's who I am. I, I, I love the fact you know I'm the sovereign God, all powerful, but that's really not what my great desire is. God's great desire was to send Jesus to die on the cross so you would know him as your dad. And you could sit alone in a room and say, Dad, hey, how, you, how we doing here? Dad, guide me. God, I, I pray you teach me. 
that you'd show me some things, that you'd give me the next step to go to. Romans 8.15 says, for you have not received a spirit of slavery. When you became a Christian, God didn't want you to be a slave. I, I want to hustle through this, but don't miss this. When the prodigal son left home, he left his father. What did he do? He ended up going into the partying lifestyle. He ended up making a mess of everything. He spent all his money and had nothing. He put himself in a position of slavery. And he said, why? Why would I live like this? I, my, the slaves my dad has are treated better than this. So he goes home to his father. And he has a speech all prepared. This is in Luke chapter 15. And he walks up to the dad. And it says the dad, seeing him in a distance, ran to him and got to him. And he said, Father, I've sinned against you. And I don't deserve to be your son. I want to be a slave. And do you remember the father? No way. He threw a robe around him and no way you're going to be a slave. Do you realize when you come to the Lord, you might say, Lord, I want to be your bond slave. He said, well, you know, that's great, but you're going to be my son. And he means it. You actually are a son that he loves and, and, and he doesn't want you to go, okay, I'm your slave. Certainly we understand the whole bond slave theology, but God says that's not how it works here. Jesus said, I want to call you a friend. And the father says, I want to be your dad. And in Romans 8, 15, it says, for you have not received the spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father, Daddy, Daddy, Father. And Galatians 4, 6 says, because you are sons, God sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. The Holy Spirit, if you ever let him speak to you, he says, don't. Don't you realize how much we love you? I want you to have this relationship, son. That's an amazing moment. When you're sitting there and realize God loves you like that. And, and for some, God says, I know that what's been missing, but let me heal it. Let me touch you. Let me guide you. Let me embrace you. Let me love you. And uh, you know what? If you've never experienced that from God, then, then tonight I want to have you do it. Now, how do you do it? Well, Jesus said, I stand at the door and I knock. And if you open the door, I'll come in and I'll dine with you. Now, why would I use that verse tonight? Catch this. The, the kind of meal that was talked about there was a family meal. He says, I, I want to sit with you and eat with you and feast with you for hours in a loving relationship. But notice it says you have to open the door. You have to say, come in. And how do you enter in this relationship? You pray a prayer and say, I want this, Lord. I want what you do to me. I want you to heal my hurts, forgive my sins, cleanse me, make me new and alive. I want to be who you created me. I want your guidance. I want you to be my dad. And he says, I want that. And tonight, if you're not in that intimate relationship with him, then let me tell you, he wants it even more than you do. And all you have to do is pray a prayer with me right where you're sitting and pray the words and mean it. It's that easy. It's that powerful. Tonight, by the way, if you used to walk with the Lord and you're somehow not connected with him, that I want to invite you to do this. And, and here's another thing. This is a little different, so don't tune out on me. Tonight, if because you've never really known what it's like to have a dad, if you found it really hard to relate to God as your father, I'm going to challenge you tonight to recommit to him and say, I, I'm, I'm stepping in that direction. Help me have you be my dad in reality. I haven't had that. So we're going to pray, and if God touches you, I'm going to ask you to pray that prayer with me. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, you, you want to be our dad. And dad, right now, tonight, you're looking down in this room and you're seeing men you love. Men that you've been proud of at times and that you've wanted to help at times. 
men that you want to raise up to do amazing, mighty things, significant things. Men that you love as sons, you cherish. And Lord, we want to be open to that. Dad, we want to be open to it. And I know how real it's supposed to be. So I ask right now that your Holy Spirit come and I ask, first of all, that you begin to touch and heal the men who are in this room that have never known what it's like to have a dad cherish them, hug them, kiss them, love them, and, 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 and do with their lives. That they'd know what it's like to be loved like that by you. And you'd heal the hurt and the pain of not having it. And I ask right now that you would be with, with each one of us, God, and you would begin to touch anybody here who doesn't have that intimate relationship with you and that this would be their time to claim it. I'm going to ask that we keep praying, but right now I'm going to lead that prayer and ask you if you tonight want to commit your life to Christ, you want to open the door of your heart to him, I'm going to ask you right where you're sitting to pray it with me. And if you're right with God, would you pray for anybody who needs to make this decision? But tonight, if you want to commit your life to the Lord or recommit, if you want to have this relationship with God as your dad and you're ready to pray this prayer with me, would you let me know you're going to do it by lifting your hand in the air and looking at me and then you can put it down. Is God, well, praise the Lord. That is awesome, man. Praise God for that. Wow, praise God for you. That is so incredible. And for you, that's awesome. Wow, praise the Lord for each one of you. Let me take a second more. I just want to look over the room. And if you're going to pray this prayer with me, I haven't seen you yet, just lift your hand where I can see it. Praise God. That is awesome. Right here and right up here. Praise the Lord for you. And right over here for you too. Praise God. Wow. And way up here, praise the Lord for you. Praise God. And up here, praise the Lord. Man, that's awesome. For every single one of you, this is incredible. All of you that God's touching, let's just pray this prayer together. Say these words. Say, Lord Jesus, I know you love me. And I know you died on the cross to forgive me of my sins, to heal me of my hurts, to make me alive, to make me new. And to help me be who you've always made me to be. So I open my heart to you now. Please come fill me with your love. Fill me with your spirit. Draw me close to you. You are my God. But you're also my Father. And tonight more than ever, you're my dad. And I love that. And in Jesus' name I pray, amen.